Hello, and welcome to episode 287 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. In this episode, we have an interview with Artist24 and creator of such comics as Fist of the Frenzy, Mangling, Boat Song, and many upcoming titles. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Uh, 24, thanks so much for joining us. Um, could you just give us a, a, maybe like a brief bio and maybe a little bit about the, the books that you've created to this point? Oh gosh. Uh, that's always kind of difficult to do. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I've had a bunch of different careers before making comics and I tried to not make comics for years. And then now I'm kind of making them because COVID kind of made me reconsider my entire life. Um, but as it did many other people um and uh the stuff that i make um i don't know a lot of people try to imply that like i'm making the stuff that i make as an affectation or try to a way to try to be trendy or something like that um i just kind of draw what i draw based on the stuff that um i grew up with and that means things to me and from my life experiences and um I just want to try to make cool books that make people happy. (laughs) That's all we want as artists, right? Then that's, that's totally awesome. So do you, so I'm just going to go out. Do you have like a, you said that you had like a lot of um, jobs prior to, to, you know, wanting to make comics Were any of those in any artistic fields? Yeah, uh, I worked in publishing for a while. Um, and uh, before that, like I attempted to do modeling for a bit, um, which is part of the reason why I don't like showing like my appearance around is like, I don't know, I feel like I, I feel like I've shown my, my face around enough in the past and I don't really need to do it anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, like it was semi creative but I feel like this is the most creative in a way because this is where I can have complete control over a project whereas the previous um things that I did were largely collaborative Mm -hmm. and um in a way this is a lot more refreshing I enjoy it a lot more so I know firsthand that like when Noah was was talking to you to you know possibly do a do a sketch for him in his sketchbook um, there was a discussion of Wonder Woman and you were like, you know, I, I would be interested in Wonder Woman if I could make it sort of like, you know, like a, like a fashion piece or sort of play with, uh, you know, what she's wearing. As, so is, is that something that's very sort of appealing to you? Yeah, like, I don't know. Fashion illustration is um, really big for me because um, it comes from like a part of my life. And uh, I sort of figured out that that was important through a portfolio review from Brian Stelfreeze. Like uh, years ago, I was trying really badly to draw um, superhero stuff. And it was just awful. <laughs> like, sat down and started doing like a, um, a series of like JoJo fan art pieces like that were fashion illustration and sort of drawing from um, like pictures of me that like were taken and um clothes that like I wish I could wear and stuff like that and um uh it ended up being really cool and I showed it to Brian Stelfreeze the next year and he was like heck yeah this is what I want to see from you so um I think that 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 drawing from personal experiences now is um really important to making comics 
And uh, that's that's something I try to put into all of my work from here on out is just try to include something of me in it. That's really cool. That is that that's really interesting to know about Brian Stelfreeze because I'm always curious about what artists give the best portfolio reviews. Um, I've had my I've had luck with some and bad luck with others, but it's always great when you find that professional who's willing to, well, that who just has that insight into your work and is able to sort of pinpoint what you enjoy and encourage you to do that. Those are always the best kind of reviews. So that's that's a, that's a cool experience. And uh, oh my gosh, yeah! If he can go to a convention where there's Brian Stelfreeze, like get him to look at your stuff. He's amazing and he's intensely kind. Like he's like the nicest person I've ever met. That's so cool. I mean, his art's beautiful. And, you know, every year I've been at Heroes, it's just a, an honor to be able to watch him paint or anything. So that's really cool. And uh, and I was wondering about that because I have your um, hard target um, Paradiso, uh, Paradiso concept art line book. And I was I was really impressed because there is a lot of like very uh, like retro future fashion in it. And I was wondering about like sort of, yeah, what your influences there were, because I was seeing also some like, I was definitely seeing some like manga inspire inspirations in there as well. Yeah. Um. So initially in college as like a total meme, it was like, I just got into Vaporwave um, because it was initially because it was funny. But then like, as I was getting into it more and more, like um, I started to form a, an appreciation for the music, like um I'm a big fan of high concept music, like um, like I really like uh, 1970s prog rock and um, minimalist rock and um, things like that. Just like really weird stuff that's kind of not really music. Um, and uh, Vaporwave, Vaporwave definitely hits on that. Um, and I think it's a really interesting idea for an art form to create uh, memories in people that don't technically exist, um, memories based on like derivative nostalgia. Um, I thought that was really, I thought that was a really cool idea. And I wanted to try to do something with that because um, so many people in comics are making 1980s nostalgia bait um, books. So the idea was going to be uh, to sort of create a nostalgia bait book that was made by me. I've never lived in the 1980s. I don't know anything about what the 1980s was like, uh, but sort of taking the properties of Vaporwave of trying to create the memory of the 80s in people who might have experienced the 80s or might not have experienced the 80s. Um, and in doing that, uh, I'm taking some of the principles of Vaporwave where I'm uh, sampling. Um, Vaporwave is largely some of the most influential songs from Vaporwave uh, are entirely just 1980s songs that have been like slowed down or altered in some way. Um, for this uh, project, I'm taking a lot of influence from American and Japanese graphic designers from the 1980s and album covers. Uh, so a lot of it is supposed to, it's supposed to be like heavy metal, but optimistic and tropical, I guess, if that makes sense. And I'm also mixing in uh, 1980s um, Gekiga manga that I'm a big fan of, like Golgo 13 and things like that. And a um, uh, bunch of like hard boiled, like kind of uh, 007 kind of things like that. Uh, I think I, I wanted to just sort of create an experience uh, and a memory that is completely original, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that does. And that's, uh, that's such a cool insight into this book and the art because um, not to get off the topic of hard target, but I've read, I read the other two books that you have um, in your link tree on Instagram, which I, I if anyone's listening to, I recommend checking out as well, because it's cool to see sort of you, you're really able to sort of tackle different subject materials in very unique ways. So I like how you're able to do this retro future style in here and then in like the fists of fire frenzy as a frenzy um, frenzy frenzy you're able to tackle sort of the renaissance style um and then with uh with the i'm um, sorry i'm going to butcher the title of the other other but short story which was really <laughs> beautiful um so i won't even try um, it's but it's mingle boat song mingle boat song thank you yes. that one that one you have this very like uh that one also is very like as a different style as well. So are, are you someone that you like to sort of experiment with different uh, sort of, I guess like you have one specific style that's very unique to you, but then you also are sort of trying to tackle different types of subjects. Is that something you get a lot of joy out of? Oh, definitely. Like something that I'm absolutely terrified of um, that I've heard that happens to people in the comic book industry is getting typecasted. Um, if I feel like as soon as I'm typecasted, then that would be the end of my career. Like I want to be able to make stuff for like all different audiences. I want to just be able to tell like all kinds of different stories about like my perspectives on like life and, uh, society and just sort of like figuring out people and things like that. And I think that if you were to try to limit yourself to any, um, to sort of any one time period or any one experience and just repeat that over and over again, then you're not going to necessarily get at um, anything truly real, I guess. I, I, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying it. But I think that through doing, lately I'm doing historical stuff. Um, even uh, Hard Target Paradiso is kind of historical. It's the 1980s, but it's augmented 80s. Um, I think it's really interesting to sort of think about these time periods and find the places where times change, but people are the same. And um, I think it also, in using different time periods, it lets you kind of create this sort of safe playground in which you can explore these different ideas. Um, because if you were to just like use current year, um, a lot of people would accuse you of like, um, sort of being cheap or political or derivative or any number of things. But I think that through finding the places where times change, but people are the same, you can, you have a lot more flexibility to tell different stories. Yeah, I, I definitely got that reading the fists book um, because I liked how you, it's definitely set in like Renaissance era, but you have this dialogue that's very contemporary but at least I got that feeling from the dialogue and I kind of appreciated that, that it's sort of, it get, I mean, not that it's not like really beautiful and poetic at times with dealing with the subject material, but like sort of in the dialogue between the characters, it can be kind of frank and candid, it feels like. So that, that's, that makes a lot of sense reading that book. Um, on the topic of the Fists of Forenzi, what, what, what led you to drawing, writing and drawing that book? Um, so... COVID happened. I lost my cool publishing gig in New York City. Uh, I just didn't really know what I was doing with my life. And then I uh, had to move back 
to the south and I had no idea what was going on and uh, found out that the the Tezuka Award um, opened up to Americans for the first time um, in, back in 2020 and uh, I had nothing else really happening. So it's like, why not just make a comic? And um, unfortunately I found out about it like a month in to the competition. So everyone else had an extra month to work on their book, <laughs> but I had to cram that book into two months and I finished it. And by the end, like I was crying cause it was like, that was an experience. Like I, I, that was the first book I ever made. And um, by that point I had also been drawing for a year. Um, like I, I used to doodle as a, as a kid, um, on my homework and stuff in the back of papers. And I used to also doodle, um, a little bit at work, but, um, like it wasn't anything substantial. And, um, I finally, like in 2019 decided I'm going to try to actually learn to draw. And, um, that's, so it was in 2020 when Fist of Firenze happened and it, that was a, a major project, but I got really, I feel like I got a lot better at drawing at, throughout the project, which is, uh, you can actually see it in the art, like it improves as it goes. What was the- uh, First what, off, that, that makes me angry that you've only been drawing for like three years and you're this good. That, <laughs> that makes me very angry, um, but then, on top of that, I agree. Yeah, it was really cool to see your style sort of evolve throughout the book because it, it started off great, but the, towards the end, I was like screenshotting certain splash pages and things because they were just so incredibly vibrant um, with like your line work and your your movement and stuff. So yeah, the, I can definitely see that in there. Oh, I'd be curious to know what pages. I don't know. It's always neat because everybody comes out of it like holding on to a different page. Yeah, I'll send you the screenshot afterwards. There was one in particular that really got me. And I, yes, I'll definitely forward that to you. So in, in 2019, you make the decision to, you know, learn how to draw. You know, you said you've been doodling. What, what, what was that? Was that uh, um, a combination of sort of self-study and, 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 you know, going, going to the internet for tutorials. What, what did you do to sort of level up, uh, in 2019 with your, with your drawing? Um, that was when, uh, that was when I just did like the Jojo fashion zine thing, because, um, before then I, had like three pages made of superhero content. And like, that was basically just like doodles, like while I was at work and it was not good. Um, and so I, I guess to get better, I just made things that I liked. And okay. um, a lot of people use reference and this is really bad advice. Don't listen to me, use reference, do, do what people tell you to do but um, I don't use a reference. Um, I just do the poses and stuff myself. And then uh, I draw how it feels to do those poses. Um, Cause I can feel where my muscles are flexing or tightening. And then I try to draw based on where things feel loose versus where things feel tight. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I think, and, and then I also am aware of how my body looks because I like had photos taken of it. So like I 
can kind of remember that and then I can just sort of project the feeling of all that onto it. And that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the process. And it's just, it's just been like re repetition um, and through repetition, I'm managing to make things like look more solid and make things look like they're in motion a lot better, but it's not, I'm totally learning to draw in the wrong way. And I'm happy to admit that. <laughs> One thing we've learned by doing this podcast that there really is no right way and they're all wrong is what we've learned. So just kidding. Um, but no, the, <laughs> the, no, there is no, like, it's just always cool to hear everybody's different approaches. And I have heard artists sort of say similar things to the approach that you have um, where, you know, it's just, it's just what the, the feeling that sort of like a visceral experience the poses, you know, more than it is a, accurate representation like you're not trying to go for realism or, or accuracy so that makes a lot of sense yeah like I think um with my work a lot of what I'm trying to achieve with it is um not showing people how reality actually is because I feel like if you want to know what we all agree upon for reality then you can just go outside um like touch grass <laughs> but like um I what I'm trying to do with my work is I'm trying to create the feeling of existing within space or moving within space and, um, or just feeling things. And I'm trying to just communicate personal truths rather than um, communicate like what we all can see as evident. That's beautiful. Yeah, I can see that in your work. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Matt, did you have any? Did you have more questions about uh, 2019? No, I'm I'm all good. If we want to move forward, yeah. Uh, on the topic of what we were just talking about, with uh, you know more of a representation, uh, one of the things I noticed, like as you were going through, like the, when I was reading through the fist of frenzy, is that you sort of started experimenting more with like different textures um, in the line art, and then that sort of goes into the the boat song book as well. Like it seems like you've like you were experimenting a lot in that book with like uh, different brush textures, different uh, different tones and things like that. Uh, what, what, what led you to to Boat Song? Um, so a lot of, it, so it kind of came from being tired of going to conventions and having portfolio reviews where people tell me, why don't you just go to Asia? <laughs> whoa it's like, that's gross yeah a lot of people say that and it's like i'm i'm asian i don't know how to fix that really dude but um <laughs> i mean i kind of get what where they're coming from because there's not really a manga industry in america but the question is why can't there be one why why not um europe has a manga industry there's been some french books that have become animes um the uh the there's um there's even a there's a manga industry in literally every single every single continent including africa there's one in south africa there's a manga industry except for north america north america is the final frontier and um so i guess the question is why not um but i at the same time i do understand them because there's nothing here um but uh, I got tired of that and I was looking at American comics and I was like, well, what sets them apart? And um, something that I noticed is like Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee draw like 25 million little lines on things. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I don't, my brain doesn't function like that. <laughs> I can't really think in shadow very easily. Um, it's easier for me to think about the places where light breaks lines than it's easy for me to think about the places where shadow blocks things out. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why that is. My brain just doesn't notice shadow as I'm going about my everyday days, I guess. Um, but uh, the textures largely come from me trying to fake drawing 25 million little lines like Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, but <laughs> not understanding it. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, but it, it, uh, there's so much emotion though in that in those tones as well like i like how you play with light especially coming from like there are a couple of scenes with like the moon and uh on the ocean and it's it's really it evokes a really cool tone and a really cool mood um i wish i was more eloquent with what i was trying to say but i, I think you know what i mean like it, it just sort of it it's got a that 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 book is sort of almost like uh it's got a narrative but it almost feels almost equally like a tone a tone piece um am i too off base saying that i don't know but it, it was it was no i, I really liked the sense. mood of it yeah like um that's really what i'm going for in my work like i'm trying to just communicate the like uh, like i said before like the feeling of existing um i think that uh that's really important and i think that the way we're taught art in school is to draw things as we all agree that they are rather than as we experience them. Like, um, I don't know, I, I, I did a tiny bit of color assistant work and um, on a thing that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about. But um, I remember I added, there was like supposed to be something that's like really blindingly white, like a snow covered mountain. And I added like a little red rim around the, the white because when you're looking at something, um, your eyes, or at least my eyes, I might have astigmatism, I don't know, <laughs> but like, um, like your eyes kind of like see this like vague sort of like infrared -y kind of like exposure around blinding, blinding light. And so I included that. And then in the final product that got taken out because I was told that that's, that's because uh, it's not real, but I recognize that it's not real. And I think we can all recognize that it's not, there's not a literal red line around the snow, but we can all recognize that sometimes light refracts in our eyes and then that's what we end up perceiving. And um, I think that perception is just as important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, Matt and I work with a colorist who does something similar. So it's interesting that they made you take it out. But yeah, our, our friend Airtan, he does, he's very, that's sort of one of his big things is putting the, like, like, you know, either uh, uh, something like you said that, that, uh, yeah, that, that little line helps to sort of differentiate spaces and colors and things like that. It, it really does end up replicating sort of what your human eye does. And, um, you know, normal comic book readers don't notice those kinds of things. So it's weird that they made you take it out, but still, you know, but it is, yeah, I get that. They were going for something more like traditional superhero. Gotcha. Makes sense then. Do you, is there any sort of person that works in sort of North American, Western 
um, comics that you you see a bit of a, of, of a manga style in. You know, I, I, I'll just throw a name out there. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but like, um, like Daniel Warren Johnson, like, do you, do you see anything? Do you see a, a blending of like, you know, e you know, Eastern and Western styles there? Yeah, um, the way he depicts movement is definitely that, like, he's drawing how it feels to move rather than how it actually is, like, I mean, looks when you take a photo of somebody moving. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, probably, um, so uh, I know Paul Pope, and um, his stuff definitely, yeah, is also a fusion. Um, especially because he used to work in Japan. Um, so uh, a lot of people aren't aware of that little fact about him, but his, his time in Japan is pretty interesting sounding. He hasn't told me everything about it, but from what I've heard, it, it sounds interesting. Um, and uh, I think if I were to like sort of crown like an American like king manga artist, um, it would probably be Frank Miller. Um, Frank Miller's stuff is, it has an intense focus on design. It's got an intense focus on emotion. It's really great cartooning. Like just everything about it is basically manga, even though it's missing certain aspects that are like native to like Asian culture, but he's basically applying the principles of manga to American comics in a really interesting way. Yeah, that's, that's very really interesting. Um, I, you know, I sort of familiar with, with Frank Miller's back catalog and, you know, there's, there's certainly the stuff that he did, you know, for, you know, Marvel DC, but then you think of stuff like, like Ronin or something like that. Um, you know, he, he can go in a, in, you know, a, bunch of varying styles but there there is a little bit of sort of the the action and and you know the leaping and the, and the jumping that, that that I see is is would you agree with that um I wouldn't even say it's necessarily the action panels that make it manga um I think it's more about his design sensibility okay and the way that he paces um which is very strange because he does a lot of those like 25 million panel grids in Dark Knight yeah. Returns, um, which is not manga because most manga average around like four to five panels per page. But um, I don't know, just something about the way he like one day, one day I'm going to figure all this out and I'm going to write like an essay about like why Frank Miller <laughs> is like the original American comic book, like manga artist, but like uh -huh. something about it just is very manga and it's, very difficult to explain but one day i'll figure it out <laughs> i i see what you're where you're coming from though with the design because uh, when you like sin city uh, is not like you know the best book in the world but those books translate so well to the digest size similar to sort of how manga is because i think of the design of the pages and that and like the, especially the early sin city stuff because those are sort of like limited and more about shapes and like um trying to think like mark making almost right and, and yeah not to and you know like obviously like to draw parallels between lone wolf and cub and, and frank miller's stuff isn't like oh wow like what a revelation because he's sort of admitted to that but you know it's you you can definitely see that in there when when he sort of switched from 
sort of the classic daredevil to Ronan, all of a sudden it was, there was more of a focus on composition and line making and, and mark making on the page, which I, I kind of feel when I read classic manga or even current manga, that there's almost as much of an emphasis on what the lines look like on the page to like what the actual form looks like, you know, uh, does that make sense? And so I guess it's like, yeah, yeah I think, I think it's around what I'm probably just repeating what you're saying. But either way, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No. That you you just made it all. You just made it really clear because I'm I'm just fumbling over words over here trying to be like, no, Frank Miller. He's really great. Just believe me on it. <laughs> what Frank Miller's great? Never knew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, it's actually it's it's great to. Uh, yeah. That that's a that's a really good point. And I think um, I think he gets enough credit for what he does. But you know, I think that's that that is something that we need to maybe maybe give him some credit for i guess too along with all his many other accolades so um if you do write that essay please send it to us i'd I'd love to read it yeah of course like i'm actually like for a while i was thinking about writing a whole book about it because i don't know i got a lot of people in the industry asking me like well what's the difference between manga and american comics and then i have to explain nothing but then there's also stuff but then also nothing it's all still sequential art but then there's also some differences but then it's all sequential art <laughs> right yeah and, and it's it's i wonder like are you familiar with sort of like how like a, the art itself is treated in like over in like their respective countries because like here like matt and i are like oa collectors and stuff like that but I know like we've had people on before who've lived in in Japan and have talked about just how different the how different comics are viewed over there compared to here. But I'm almost wondering, like, is like the art over there? Do you know if it's like like worth like millions of dollars over there like it would be over here? It really depends on the book from what I hear. Like um, recently, the president of France was gifted a um, one piece color spread. Oh, wow. <laughs> like that was like a almost like diplomatic gift like it's like how in the middle ages like uh princes would send each other horses <laughs> but, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah and um so obviously that's treated as like a very high honor to receive a one piece color spread um jojo's bizarre adventure and uh the works of shinichi sakamoto have both been displayed in the louvre and um that some of the only comic book art to be displayed in the Louvre. And um, the, uh, I, I guess, so, so there certainly is a lot of art that is priceless and considered to be national treasures. But at the same time, I've seen like these auctions go on for vintage manga that is treated as in, almost like industrial waste in a way, um, where some of these like old pages from like, monthly and weekly magazines from like the 1970s and 80s it would just be otherwise thrown away but like random american collectors are like scooping them up for like pennies and um i don't know it seems like it really depends entirely on the series and it's like almost like magic cards in a way either it's worth like a house or it's worth nothing i don't it kind of makes me sad because to me it's worth everything like everything's worth everything yeah, that sounds very similar then to 
I guess how the original art is handled out here too, because you know Matt and I we dig through all those like original art boxes at cons and things, and then it's like, yeah, I, as an artist, it sort of is something where it's like, yeah, I would I would buy all this and keep it safe if I could, you know, and because um, it all it's you know like you said it's it's all art, it's all worked so hard on to make it what it is, um, and then it really it really breaks my heart when I find out about like those like you know, in, in the U S like people like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and all the other countless artists from that time, when they would turn in their original art, like it was, we were, they were lucky if it like didn't get shredded, you know, after it was turned into editorial and stuff. So it's, it's always fascinating to hear about that stuff. I'm always curious as to how it's handled in other countries and other cultures and whatnot. I mean, it's good that they figured out that American like American buyers will obtain all this art, like even if they're obtaining it for cheap, like it's good that's going to a home. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a difference in the way that the, 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 the books are sort of consumed. Like, you know, um, they're almost looked at as like disposable, um, like digest and stuff like that, you know, and you wouldn't be surprised to go on you know, go on a train in, in Japan and see, you know, pe uh, you know, businessmen, you know, reading, reading a manga where that would sort of look, people might look at that strangely, um, you know, in the States, you know, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, boxes of, of bagged and boarded uh, comics, but in sort of, those are just sort of looked at as, you know, you read it once and you, you might hand it off to your friend or you, you might leave it somewhere for, for somebody to pick it up. Is this, do, do I understand that correctly? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, that's kind of why I like manga so much. And um, I think it's the fact that it's disposable is so beautiful to me because it's like, this is just a tiny little blip in somebody's existence. So I'll, for my existence, it's like, this could be like months of my life that like I've cried over that I've like uh, had like wrist problems over that like I've just gone through hell and back for it but to them they read it once and they're like haha that was pretty cool and then they just go and toss it like I think <laughs> that that's really beautiful it's like a zen exercise like um I heard like this uh zen buddhist story about a um about a person who takes this like they spend like all day weaving this beautiful lunchbox and then they fill it with like beautiful food and then they take it up to the top of this mountain and then they eat it all. And then they, then, and then they, um, what do they do with the lunchbox? They, they throw it on the ground and then they crush it underfoot. And it's like, it's because they experienced the, they experienced what they wanted to experience in, in the mountain. They ate the food that was beautifully prepared. It's now all gone. Like what, you had the moment and there you go. Yeah, that's, yeah, it is very Zen to think about it that way. Um, so do you, do you find yourself like you're all digital, right? Correct. Um, half and half. It really depends on the piece. Some of my stuff is traditional. Some of it's digital. I don't generally sell original art though. Cause I don't know. It just kind of feels weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I was just wondering, like, do you like, like, well, I was wondering, like, how do you preserve your, your artwork then? Are you someone who's like very, like, like once you have it printed and things like that, is that sort of like what you see as the finished, like that's the, that's the finished uh, product or will you always sort of like, 
uh, like sort of hold on to to work and uh, sort of sort of keep it keep it close to your uh, you know not your whole life but you know for for a long time. Um, I have a lot of proofs of my work, and um, well, I kind of want to throw them out. Uh, uh, my family has told me that I'm not allowed to. <laughs> Because they're like, what if that's worth money one day? What if you make it big? <laughs> so I'm holding on to like all these proofs. And um, I actually had an interesting conversation at HeroesCon with a guy about uh, proofs and about how they're kind of like better than NFTs. <laughs> um, because uh, this is all digital art. It's a way of owning digital art. And this is all digital art that has gone through changes. And so, like, this is a stage in the process that, like, I can't hit the undo button anymore and get back. Like, this is the only print that looks like this of that digital art. So it's, like, the best way to own an NFT physically. Um, and it also uh, is not, like, it's it's also not full of, like, the crazy, weird, toxic NFT culture stuff. Uh, but um, I think... Uh, I don't know. Generally, when I'm done with a project, um, unless it's still making a little bit of money, I just kind of am done with it and I'm on to the next thing. Uh, like, I do definitely want to continue Fista Firenze, but I don't want to, um, like, once I sell out of my current printing of it, I don't want to go back to it. That That one... Uh, version of the book um because that was a moment and in my life and it's now over and it's time for the next thing yeah that makes sense that's that's really cool and that also is uh if anyone's listening that means get your hands on a copy of fist of frenzy before it's gone forever and uh don't want that yeah yeah there's only a thousand three hundred copies in the world yeah that's awesome yeah. And uh, so, Matt, did you have any more questions on, on what we were what we were just talking about? No, I think uh, I think we covered things pretty well there. Yeah, I, I just wanted to sort of talk about what's what's up next for you. Um, what, what, what do you what do you have in the pipeline as far as the, the, the comics that you're working on right now? Uh, so right now I'm finishing up um, a little eight page a short story for uh, Black Mask. It's going to be appearing in a book called Destiny New York, which Destiny New York, I should enunciate. Um, and uh, it's, I think it's really cool. Like uh, I came across Destiny New York um, at my local comic shop because my local comic shop, um, it does really well with like families and women. So we end up seeing books that, um, a lot of other comic shops don't see as often and destiny new york is pretty popular um so like it was really cool getting to meet uh the writer and and knowing that um he appreciates my work and then he finally like hit me up one day and was like hey i got a script so i'm pretty excited about that um i don't know when it's coming out hopefully um sooner rather than later i have zero idea i will ask him about it later um i'm also uh, on the side working on more Fist of Forense. And I'm also, uh, I've also got like a couple 
kind of I like I wonder if it's okay to say it because like it's okay for like so I guess I won't come out and like be very direct but Copra inspired I guess if you catch the drift um if anyone has read Copra um like a couple Copra inspired types of projects um one of them is sort of uh about um fighting historical figures but in the current year and um it's about it's got a lot of discussions on whether buddhism can coexist with uh modern america and um the other one is a uh, kind of a superhero thing and um uh besides that oh i also want to make like hard target paradiso into a um into a uh webtoon that would that's a very big goal um but webtoon seems like an entirely new an entirely new format so i'm having to learn that really quick <laughs> um but uh yeah um oh also uh i've got a manga about fishing that um it's kind of like a meme with some of my friends it'll never get it'll never be done <laughs> but i'd like to finish it at some point and then enter it for um competitions and awards in in asia because uh, i think it's really cute it's about fishing in florida during the apocalypse wow that sounds that sounds awesome yeah all those things sound awesome yeah yeah uh, especially the 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 historical figures battling in modern times and, and and incorporating buddhism into that i'm i'm very excited about that that sounds amazing yeah, like I, I guess like I've tried to compare it to like this, like uh, it's kind of similar to Jonathan Hickman's Shield or Fate Grand Order, and then uh, it's kind of also got some like uh, everything everywhere all at once or Made in Korea vibes. Awesome, all nice. awesome. You you hit so Matt's a Hickman fan. I'm a huge fan of everything, everywhere, all at once. Like you just got two readers for sure. Right <laughs> nice. Now, so. yeah. yeah. Awesome. So that, that sounds really cool. And it sounds like, uh, you know, we should, we should check in with you in the future when you're able to talk about these things a little bit more in, in more detail. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hopefully by then, um, I've got like a whole bunch of secret gigs too, that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, or I, I think I might be allowed to talk about them, but like, I'm scared I'll jinx things. So, um, hopefully in the future, I'll, I'll have more exciting things to talk about. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't jinx anything. Wait till all the, uh, you know, I's are dotted and T's, T's are crossed. We don't, we don't want to jinx anything here. I've done so much jinxing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like not, not today, but like in, in the past and I've been coming to terms with that, like actually this week. So. <laughs> awesome. So let's, let's do this as we close up. Um, I know Noah mentioned earlier that uh, like your, your IG goes to, to a link tree where people can read some of this stuff. Where, where are the best places to, to, to go online to check out your art? Um. So right now it's mainly Instagram. Um, I need to make a website because that's what the professional people do, but I just keep on putting it off. Um, uh, Instagram is probably the best place. Um, I hate Twitter. Don't follow my Twitter. It's bad. It, I don't post there. Um, and uh, I guess um, the links on, so the link for Fist of Forense 
uh, on my link tree is not super optimal. Like I keep it there as like a sample in case people just want to like know if they like it. But like if you want the full experience, um, hit me up. I will mail you a copy. We can work out PayPal. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mingle Boat Song is perfectly readable online. Um, I'm hoping to have more stuff posted in my link tree in coming months. So yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to link that in the, the show notes for anybody listening to, to make that as easy as possible to, to jump over and check that stuff out. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Noah, any, any final thoughts or final questions uh, as we wrap up here? Uh, no, just thanks for coming on. I really hope. Yeah. Please, please come back on if you, if you, if you would like to, to talk more about your projects, it was really cool to talk to you. Um, you have great insights into things. So even if you don't want to talk about what you're working on, if you just want to come on and talk comics, please, it'd be great to have you on. You have great insight. Oh my God, I'd love to. I have too many thoughts, but just a heads up, talk about other people's comics. Get spicy and you might have to edit things out. Uh, well, it, we can get spicy here too. So it might be fun to have another person besides Matt and I getting spicy about comics. <laughs> Awesome. So um, we're, we're going to finish up here. So for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. Uh, there's going to be a link to Superior Sam, Everybody Needs a Home. That's a Kickstarter that's going on now in the month of July 2022. Um, Noah is the letterer of that book, and I am helping co-publish that book with the with our partners at Ageless Press. So there's a Kickstarter link in the show notes. If you want to follow our podcast, we are on social media, and that is at Construct Compod on Twitter. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Just want to thank everybody one more time for, for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>